0: If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, As a church, we've been going through the book of Hebrews together in a sermon series called The Sermon God Wrote. The book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that was turned into a letter and then passed around a group of churches. We find ourselves in chapter 11 in this uh, this kind of section that's uh, referred to sometimes as the Hall of Faith where the author of Hebrews is talking about the great heroes of faith in the past. And so today we look at the life of Abraham. Uh, I'm going to read all the way through verses 8 through 19. I'm going to kind of uh, address the beginning and the end verses. We'll kind of skip over 13 through 16, 16 today. Pastor Shane will be teaching on those verses more in depth next week. So just to kind of give you a sense of where we're going today. But if you would, read with me Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 19 I'll read, we'll pray, and then we'll spend some time unpacking them together. Hebrews 11: By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the scriptures, and God, in particular, today, we're thankful for these examples of faith. God, these these great men and women uh, in ages past that show us a picture of what faith in action really looks like. God, I pray today that you'd send your Holy Spirit to be present with us right now. God, would you bring these words to life in our hearts and in our minds? God, for all of us, give us soft and and teachable and receptive hearts that we might hear the truth that you want to teach to us today. God, for myself, I pray that you would give me uh, just only those words that you want me to speak. Help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. May all of our attention be focused on Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You know, I think everyone loves a good underdog story. Wouldn't you agree? Everyone loves a good, you know, come-from-behind victory. Uh, it's, it's one thing if, you're, if your team wins, but it's another thing when your team is down by 10 runs to come back and, and win, right, Mariners fans? Or uh, it's a Hail Mary pass against the Green Bay Packers caught on your helmet, right? Just everyone loves kind of a good come-from-behind story where the odds are stacked against you, and then against all odds, there, there's, there's a, a moment of victory, a moment of triumph. I was actually thinking about uh, a moment that happened to me last fall, but I have to explain to you first. You guys remember the movie Maverick? I think it came out in the '90s. Mel Gibson, cowboy movie, poker movie, and and Maverick, kind of the peak of the movie. He he gets dealt these cards, and he doesn't even check them. He just flips, he bets the whole thing, flips the card over, and he wins the whole poker tournament. You guys remember that? I was playing poker with a friend from the church here, and he kept doing that, and he knocked me out. He wouldn't check his cards. He bet everything I bet against him, and he knocked me out of the game in a friendly game of poker. I thought, that is just absolutely, what are the odds of that happening? I had to forgive him, and we worked through it as brothers in Christ. I think we like those types of stories because there's something in the nature and in the character of God where God gets a lot of glory from showing up in improbable and unlikely situations. Wouldn't you agree? That, that, that we can kind of live our life according to, you know, here's the odds, here's what's normal, here's what's expected, but then when you follow God, sometimes God just shows up in the most unlikely of situations. Wouldn't you agree? That God's, God's glorified, uh, I think, by these, by these moments where we might be tempted to trust our, our human reason, our human intellect, and then God just does something that's totally surprising that's really the, the big idea of our, of our passage today as we look at the life of Abraham, that, that, that being a follower of Jesus sometimes means that you keep going even when the odds are stacked against you. Despite what seems the most logical, you actually keep following Jesus even when it's against all odds. And actually, it's, it's really important for us to know that this is grounded, when I, when I say this, this is grounded in the character of who God is himself. When you, when you read through the Bible, you see these different verses where, where God kind of talks about being a surprising God. I think of, you know, for one example, there's a verse in Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk is speaking on behalf of God. God says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And that's just one example. Well, God says, I'm going to do a work of judgment. I'm uh, going to bring judgment upon my people. Then I'm going to do a work of restoration. And it would just shock you if you knew the plans that I was going to uh, walk you through. I think of verses like in in John chapter 3 when when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says, you know, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That God's Holy Spirit, it's like trying to control the wind. You can't control the wind. You can only either, you know, harness it, fall in line with what the wind is doing, or you can try to resist it. That God is surprising. God often delights in, in doing things that, that surprise us. I'm not saying that God is chaotic. Yes, he is a God of order. He is a God of, of, of consistency. He's the same God that makes the seasons come and the sun rise and set. But he also delights in being surprising. Actually, the, the most surprising thing of all is the gospel itself. Wouldn't you agree? The gospel is surprising. The gospel is shocking. The gospel goes against all odds. I think of the passage in 1 Corinthians 1 where the apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about how people, they, they're looking for either signs from heaven or they're looking for the, you know, something that makes sense. And the Apostle Paul, he, he's talking this way to the Corinthians. He says, in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, and so it, it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Friends, do you recognize that when we gather together like this each week on a Sunday and we open up the scriptures, we proclaim the gospel, there's a sense in which God himself says, by the way, you know this is foolishness, right? This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that that sinful mankind, rebellious mankind, separated from God would be able to be brought back into right relationship with God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is foolishness. This does not make sense according to our way of thinking as humans. He says, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. These are the, the main people, that, the people groups that he was speaking to. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly, there's that word again, to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Friends, When it comes to the gospel, do you know what we would come up with? Do you know what people come up with? Religion. We say, oh, mankind is separated from God. We've broken God's laws. We've broken God's ways. You know what we need? We need a 12-step plan to get ourselves back good enough to God. And we're going to start doing things to impress God. And we're going to offer all these sorts of sacrifices. We're just going to show God that we can be really, really, really good. And God shows up and says, I'm going to save you through the foolishness of sending my perfect son to die and to rise again on your behalf. Friends, the gospel is ridiculous. The gospel is ridiculous. And that's why I love it because it's not something. Look, if we were going to come up with a religion, if we're going to come up with a plan, we wouldn't come up with the gospel. Our God is amazing. Our God is surprising, our God is shocking, against all odds. At the last moment, Hail Mary passed, the the come from behind victory, God shows up and says, I'm gonna defeat Satan, sin, and death through death. (laughs) What? And that's why we have to bow down and worship God, because his plan is so much better than our plan. Amen? So that's what we're looking at today in the life of Abraham. We're looking at these just impossible situations where God shows up in some pretty remarkable ways. And here's really our our three our three situations that the author of Hebrews points out. He he points out this, um, this impossible situation related to a home, this unlikely home for Abraham. We're going to see an impossible situation related to uh, pregnancy and a a child that was promised. And then we're going to see an an unlikely and impossible situation related to uh, sacrifice and a resurrection. So, an unlikely home, an unlikely pregnancy, and an unlikely resurrection. Those are our three areas that we're going to look at. So, let's pick back up in verse 8. Looking at an unlikely home. By faith, Abraham obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him, that's his his son and his grandson, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." And let me just walk you through the story of Abraham a little bit so that you can remember. If you, if you want to flip back to Genesis chapter 11 and 12, you can, but you don't have to. Let me just summarize, because we've got about 11 chapters of Genesis to try to cover here. So I'll just try to summarize quickly. In Genesis chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, Abraham is called into relationship with God. And the book of Genesis up to this point has been just barreling along at breakneck speed. The first 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis cover quite literally thousands of years of human history. And then we get to Genesis 12 and it's like, slam on the brakes! And we're going to look at Abraham. And God calls Abraham into relationship with himself. Once again, before we ever look at the example of Abraham's faith, let's remember that Abraham was a recipient of God's surprising grace. Abraham was just... Hanging out in a place called Ur. That's a city in, in a region called Chaldea. Uh, Chaldea would be modern-day Iraq, kind of going up uh, towards modern-day Syria. A little bit of Kuwait in there. He's just hanging out in Ur, being a pagan, just doing his pagan thing, and then boom! God shows up, and says, "Abraham, I'm calling you into relationship with myself." He says, I, I, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna." Make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, he says, to all the other nations of the earth. And so Abraham is called into relationship with God first. Then, he's called to leave his home. We see this in Genesis 12, uh, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The author of Hebrews says that by faith he went to live in this land of promise. God says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land, and I I just want you to go. Now, I want you to understand how big of a deal that is. Because Abraham, most likely, was wealthy. Uh, This was not some impoverished, I think sometimes we can have a a, a kind of an improper view of, of different ancient cultures and civilizations. I was doing some research this week. The city of Ur in this region of the world was actually quite uh, wealthy and was quite sophisticated and advanced. There, there's um, a ton of archeological evidence showing that mathematics and trade and astronomy were at a highly sophisticated and a highly developed level. Actually, as they went through the city of Ur, you can, you can look at, um, I was looking at the British Museum records. It says that like one in five houses had writing equipment. So literacy was widespread it's likely that abraham's house had you know five six seven different rooms a, a waiting area a indoor bathroom and god says go camping right i mean that's what it says living in tents with isaac and jacob any of you uh know that camping is often quite a sanctifying experience right especially if you've been with your children or your grandchildren I think of the the comedian Jim Gaffigan. He says, like, I love to go camping. It's a tradition in my family. And he says, it was a tradition in everyone's family until we invented the house, right? Camping is, you'll you'll get that on the way home. It's okay. This idea of, like, just leave. Leave your comfort. Leave your nice home. Leave your sophisticated, uh, wealthy, knowledgeable community and just go. Just go. And I want to point out to you also Sometimes this this verse or this idea gets used in this context of, of, um, kind of pulled out of context, I would say, of like, you need to go be a missionary somewhere. If God's calling you to be a missionary, to leave your home and to go overseas to serve other people and, and teach them the gospel, praise God, you should do that. But don't use this verse to proof text it, okay? There's something else really profound that's happening here. And let me tell you what's happening here. You guys remember in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and then God cast them out of the garden, which direction did they head? They headed east. And God said he placed a, an angel and a sword of fire to keep them from returning into the garden. Abraham's living in the east. Which direction did God call him to go? West. This is not about just, you know, hey, go be a missionary, go leave your home. This is actually about God saying, I'm calling you back into relationship with myself and I want to restore a sense of Eden that has been lost eight chapters ago. That's what's happening here. That's the deeper meaning of God calling him out of the east, calling him back into Eden. But Abraham was called to trust God. That's the third thing I want you to see about this part of the story. Notice that the author of Hebrews said, not knowing where he's going. Okay, God, you want me to go camping. Great, where? Just follow me, trust me. Okay. Uh, You sure? Can Can I get the end destination? No. Just trust me. It's the land of promise. It's going to be great. Oh, okay. How many of you know that God often doesn't give us the whole picture whenever he calls us into something? Let me, let me say that differently. How many of you know that God never gives us the full picture when he calls us into something? God doesn't usually say, here's your 10-step plan, and here's what it's going to look like when it's all said and done. And God says, I want you to come and I want you to follow me and I want you to trust me why because god's a relational god god says i don't i don't want to give you a plan i want to give you myself i don't want to give you a road map i want to be your guide i want to be your companion i want you to walk with me and trust me which one is better friends road map a plan or a god who says i'm going to walk with you every step along the way God doesn't always show us the full picture from day one, but, but Abraham did have faith that whatever God had for him in the future was going to be better than what he was experiencing. It says, he, it says in Hebrews, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Friends, when God calls you away from something, it's always to something better. It's always to something better. Now, does that mean it's always gonna be more immediately comfortable? No, no. Abraham lived in tents. (laughs) Need I belabor the point? Camping, okay? You're here. You're not camping. You're the ones who decided, I'd like to sleep inside and not waste vacation time uh, being freezing and eaten by bugs, right? Um, You're here. God called Abraham into something that was rather uncomfortable, but it was better. It was better. Whenever God asks you to sacrifice something, whenever God calls you away from something, whenever God asks you to give up something, it's so that he can give you something ultimately better. And Abraham trusted that. Abraham had a picture of that. Abraham believed that God was truthful when he said, leave your family, leave your homeland, go to the place that I will show you. Abraham had faith in God. An unlikely call to an unlikely home and God was faithful to Abraham. Abraham did eventually move into the promised land. His family left. I mean, you, you guys know the, the, the story, many of you. The, the whole rest of the Old Testament is this kind of back and forth story. The people are in the land. Then they go down to Egypt. They become slaves. God frees them. They get back into the land. Then they rebel against God. They're exiled. Then they move back into the land. But things aren't really quite good. It's ruled over by Romans. And then Jesus shows up. He says, by the way, I'm not concerned with just one little promised land. He says that that my glory will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. The whole earth is the promised land to those who belong in Jesus. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get into that some other time. But you need to understand that God is faithful to his promises always. Amen? And so Abraham got to experience that even for a brief window of time. Which leads us to the second portion of this promise, this, this unlikely situation, a promise of a child. By faith, this is verse 11 of, of, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. So she's, the the Bible explicitly tells us she has past childbearing years since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead. Does anyone else find that verse a little bit, like, offensive? Like... (laughs) I just kind of have this picture in my mind of, like, the author of Hebrews, you know, wrote this, he dies, he goes to heaven, and then Abraham's just, like, standing there, like, seriously, bro? Like, you're, I was, I was 75, and then I was 99. I still went and defeated King Ketoleomer. I brought Lot back. Like, I wasn't as good as dead. I did some good work right then. I just kind of, I think that was a joke. I think that's a, I think that's a sermon joke that the author of Hebrews wrote in there, and he probably had to give account for it later. Him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So this, this part of the story of Abraham's life you can find in, in Genesis chapter 15. God, God gives this promise to Abraham. He promises him children. God says, I'm going I'm I'm to give you a child. I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many descendants as there are grains of sand on the beach. Actually, we saw it just a moment ago in Genesis 12. It first comes in, but it comes back really strong in Genesis 15. Abraham's actually kind of complaining with God. He says, God, you gave me this promise, but, but what are you going to give me? For I continue childless, and right now the heir of my house, the person who's going to take over my, my whole household is Eleazar of Damascus, a servant, a family who's part of his household, but not his, his tribe. And Abraham said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and this member of my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then it says, God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then this very famous verse, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Notice that Abraham was not righteous due to all of his perfect behavior, he was righteous because he believed in the promises of God. Actually, that leads me to the second part of this story, that Abraham and Sarah got pretty impatient. You guys remember this part of the story? He did not live out his faith perfectly. He was not a perfectly righteous man on his own. Sarah and Abraham, they get impatient. Years go by after God gives this promise, and Sarah goes, well, God promised you a son, but maybe he didn't necessarily promise it would come through me. Why don't you go and, and, and you know, be intimate with my servant girl, Hagar, and you can have a son uh, with, with her. And so Abraham goes, okay. And then Ishmael is born, and literally to this day, all of the conflict we read about in the Middle East, to this day, is because of that foolish decision. He got impatient. Didn't trust the Lord. Didn't, didn't trust him perfectly. As we talk about the faith of, of Abraham... Let's not, let's not forget that Abraham, is he's held up as an example to follow. Yes, but we don't want to gloss over the fact that he is still quite imperfect. And I'm not even going to get to the parts of the story where he, you know, basically pimped out his wife to the, the Pharaoh and to the king, said, hey, don't kill me, take her. I mean, it's, he did not walk this out perfectly. There were lots of sins and mistakes along the way, but God was faithful. And because God was faithful, Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. Friends, it's the same with us. We are not saved by our perfect actions. We are saved by belief in a perfectly faithful God. So in Genesis 17 and 18, God reiterates his promise. Abraham is now 99 years old. The first time the promise came, he was 75. It's been 24 years since God first made the promise. And have you ever had to wait for God 24 years. And Abraham and Sarah are well past the age of, of bearing children. He's 99 years old, and God actually sends his angel. It says the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah and directly told him face to face No, Abraham, bro, it's gonna happen. You're gonna have a baby. It's not gonna come through the servant girl Hagar. It's going to come through your wife Sarah. And do you guys remember what Sarah did? She laughed. Ha ha ha. This is hilarious. Me, great grandma lady, having a little baby. Genesis 21, God's proven faithful. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah, Sarah bore him. Like Genesis is making a big deal. Like whom Sarah bore him. Like the, the old lady and the old great-grandpa 99-year-old man, they had a baby. They called him Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, and you're fulfilling that prophecy right now as you chuckle to yourselves, and she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? God always gets the last laugh, doesn't he? Ha, 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 that's ridiculous. God could never, oh, whoops. And here we are laughing about it to this day, some 3,000 years later. God is faithful to his promises. And again, I want to point out that this is not a verse that we should just pull out of context to say, oh, see, if you just wait for God, you'll get everything that you want. Um, In particular, it really breaks my heart when I've heard this verse uh, proof-texted to speak to, uh, in particular, women who experience infertility. That's a heartbreaking situation. I've known many, many couples in in my life who have wanted to have children, tried to have children, uh, tried to conceive through natural means, through uh, the means of doctors, and just for whatever reason, the Lord has not opened up the womb. And I've heard people use this verse, like, well, Sarah had to wait for 25 years, and then she had a baby friend's that is not what this verse is about. I, I pray, if, if, if that's something that you've experienced, I do pray that the Lord would open up your womb. The Lord can and does do miracles all the time. Yes and amen to that. But that's not what this verse is about. You know what this verse is about? This verse is about God saying to Abraham, I'm going to make you be the father of a great nation. Whenever anybody thinks about Father Abraham, they're going to think about Father God, who adopts so many children into his family They're as uncountable as grains of sand on the seashore. Later in the New Testament, the New Testament authors tell us that any of us who have faith in Jesus, Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, we're united to the family of Abraham, that we are offspring of Abraham through faith. Friends, look around the room. We're the stars. We're the grains of sand. Everywhere around the world right now where God's people are are gathered and are worshiping him, This is this prophecy and this promise come true. So let's make sure we understand what this is about. This is about God doing an impossible work of adoption. God's the biggest adoption parent, God's the biggest foster parent in the universe. He brings us into his family through his grace. What's more, this is actually a passage about how God's a God who brings life out of dead places. Think about the womb of Sarah. It was was dead, and yet God brought life, which leads us to our third point. Skip down to verse 17. As I said before, we'll come back to verses 13 through 16 next week, but let's look at the faith of Abraham when he was tested. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen to this. Just listen to what the author of Hebrews says. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Okay, this this story comes out of Genesis 22. Genesis 21, God gets the last laugh. Abraham and Sarah are pregnant. Sarah has a child. Against all odds, very next chapter, Genesis 22, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham finally has a son. Finally has this this boy and the book of Genesis is absolutely clear that Abraham loved this boy with all of his heart. I mean, wouldn't you? Waited for 25 years, God's promise, he finally shows up and then God says, oh, by the way, I want you to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. Just so we're absolutely clear, what that means is that he is going to bind his son up with his own hands, and he's going to plunge a knife into him and then light him on fire and offer him as a burnt offering to the Lord. What's Abraham going to do? No, God, you promised him to me. How could you ask this? How how could, I mean, what's Abraham going to do? Verse three, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham obeys. We don't get any insight into a wrestling match. We don't get any indication of arguing. We don't, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, no, what about? We just get, he obeyed. And what's remarkable is that the author of Hebrews gives us this insight. He says, you know what? Abraham had faith that God was going to even be able to bring Isaac back from the dead. That's how strong Abraham's faith was. God, you gave us this child. I saw you bring life out of a dead womb. I trust that you could bring life out of a dead, burnt carcass if that's your wish. Do you you guys guys feel the weight of that? I mean, even as we have little children with us in the room right now, these precious little ones, this request, this test from God to Abraham, I need you to obey me. I want you to sacrifice your son. God proves himself faithful. When When you read ahead, Says that the boy Isaac, I mean, he's old enough to ask his dad. He's old enough to at least kind of understand what's going on. Isaac says, Dad, we've got the wood, we've got the knife, we've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? I know we're going to worship, but where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? Son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Look at Abraham's faith. God's going to provide. They go up on the mountain. They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar, laid the wood. He bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The author of Hebrews says he was in the act of offering him, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything. Anything to him, for I now know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Wow. Talk about a buzzer beater, right? A last minute save. This son of promise, he's going to be sacrificed to the Lord. Boom, no, don't do it. The Lord will provide. You know what's interesting about this passage? People who are critics of the Bible, people who, uh, you know, skeptics, this is one of those stories that is often pointed to to say, see, The God of the Bible is barbaric. The God of the Old Testament is this bloodthirsty God who demands blood sacrifices. This is what's wrong with the world today. This is what's wrong with the Bible. This is what's wrong with Christianity. It's all this violence and all this bloodshed. And the the God of Abraham is asking for human sacrifice. Isn't that sick? And, And let me just answer that objection briefly because those who raise that objection have really failed how to read a book 101. And, I, and I, I mean that sternly because that is absolutely like an exercise in missing the point. Let me answer this objection for two things. Number one, we need to remember the nature of what the word knowing means. When God says to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you haven't withheld your son. This is not God saying, now I know intellectually. We use the word knowing uh, to mean I have information in my brain that I didn't used to have a few minutes ago. That's a very Western, a very Greco-Roman way of, of using the word knowing. In the ancient Near East and, and in the Hebrew mindset, the word knowing is much more experiential, isn't it? You think about, think about the common biblical phrase, he knew his wife. That's a euphemism for marital relations, which is euphemism for sex okay are you tracking with me like he he knew his wife that's that's a that's a much more relational sort of a term the bible scholar michael horton says knowing is always a matter of growing in relationship of trust hence the frequent comparison of god's covenantal relationship to marriage in scripture this is not god saying abraham i did i didn't know I'm not really, I'm really surprised that you did that. That's not what God is saying at all. What God is saying is I now have experienced and you have experienced this relationship of trust and now we can walk together going forward because you trust me and I can speak to you. But you know what's even a bigger deal? You know what would have been even more shocking to the first hearers of this story? It's that this God is a different type of God. If you were were an original reader of the book of Genesis, if you lived in the ancient Near Eastern world and you come across a story where a God demands a human sacrifice, that would not have shocked you. That was commonplace, that was normal, that was to be expected, that was routine. You know what would have shocked you? When the God shows up and says, no, I'm gonna provide the sacrifice for you. Jaw drop. What just happened? This this God is unlike any other God. Yes, God's demand human sacrifices all the time. Archaeology shows us all sorts of examples that human sacrifice was widespread in the ancient Near Eastern world, but yet our God shows up and says, Abraham, don't go through with it. I'm gonna provide a sacrifice for you. I'm going to show you my grace by being the provision that I have required. How many of you know if God requires of it, he gives it? which which helps us to understand and to know that the story of Abraham is not really about Abraham. The story of Abraham is not about us sitting and saying, what a good man, let's all follow his example. No, the story of Abraham is actually all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of of Abraham shows us that this kind of God is a different kind of God. And rather than demanding a sacrifice from us, again, the expected response, that's what religion is. God says, I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. Think about this. Think about this, when we think about Abraham leaving his home, going and living in a tent in a foreign land, we're not supposed to just end on Abraham, we're supposed to think about Jesus leaving his home, heaven, and coming and living, get this, in a tent. The author of of, of the Gospel of John, John the Apostle, says in John one that Jesus came and tabernacled among us, that Jesus came and went camping among humanity. We're supposed to think of Jesus leaving the comfort of his home and following his father's will to come and seek and save us. When we think about Isaac, this precious promised son of Abraham, the one who was born from a womb that should not have conceived, we're to think of the ultimate son of promise, the one who was born of the virgin womb. Jesus Christ, the most unlikely pregnancy in the history of humanity, the one who had never been with the man, and yet she came, uh, became pregnant under the power of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus, the God-man, was born. When we think about Abraham's sacrifice, we can think of the love of the Father, just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, so the Father was willing to give us his son as a sacrifice that we might have our sins forgiven. And when we think about Isaac being spared from death and being brought back from the dead figuratively like the author of Hebrews says, we can remember that our Savior Jesus, though he was crucified, he lives forevermore because he actually came back from the dead and he's alive for all of eternity and that's incredibly good news. Talk about a shocking, buzzer-beating, come-from-behind victory. Jesus is alive, friends. Jesus is alive. The story of Abraham is all about the gospel of Jesus. The story of Abraham is all about God showing us that he is faithful and we can put our faith and our trust in him. Friends, do we serve an amazing God? Do we serve an incredible God? From a human perspective, the odds are very against us being saved from our sinfulness. But that's what makes the gospel so incredible. That's what makes our God so amazing. Let me just close with, with this thought. We see God show up in these really unlikely situations, very difficult situations, improbable, impossible situations in the life of Abraham. And, and as we're here today, you might be facing difficult situations. I cannot stand before you and say, just keep trusting God, and all of these situations right now are gonna work out exactly how you want them to. I can't do that. We don't have a guarantee of that anywhere in the Bible. But you know what I can tell you? Whatever difficult situation you're in right now, for those who are in Christ, it will ultimately work out for your good. It will. Your will. I don't know. You might have to wait 25 years. You might wait 50 years. You might wait 75 years. You might, like the people in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 talking about, you might never actually see the, the good that comes out of it in your lifetime, but I can guarantee you on the authority of the word of God that whatever you're going through, God will use it for your good and for his glory, and we can have faith in him. So whatever you're facing, take heart. Whatever struggles you're facing, be encouraged. Ultimately, your home, it's not this earth, your ultimate home. Like like Abraham, we're looking forward to the city that has foundations, the builder and designer is God. And one day when we're with him in eternity, we'll see his perfect plan. We'll see how all of it has been brought together for for our good and for his glory. Friends, be encouraged. But I want to say this too. That promise is only for those who are in Christ. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, if you've not trusted in Jesus, I'm inviting you, trust in Jesus. Give give him your sin, give him your brokenness, give him all of those hopeless situations so that what the word of God promises can be true for you as well. We know that all things will work for the good of those who, who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. I want that for you. If you've not yet trusted yourself to Jesus, today would be the day to do so. Be adopted into his family, the the family that Father Abraham started that points to the greater father, our heavenly father, the one who adopts us in as precious sons and daughters. Respond today. Christian and non-Christian alike, I want to invite us all to respond today. And we're going to respond in a few ways. The first way we're going to respond is, is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. I'll invite our financial stewards to being, begin collecting. Let me just say, if you're a guest, uh, you're not under any obligation to give. You're welcome to if you'd like. I always want to remind people, we want to give as worship. We're going to invite our uh, younger students class to join us in this time of response as well. Uh, just so encouraging to hear of even these ones uh, meeting Jesus in recent weeks. We've had uh, several give their lives to Jesus in recent weeks. What a joy that is! As they're collecting the offering, let me read some discussion questions, things to help us as we have conversations this week in our community groups. We'll put them on the screen. They're also in your handout or on the website as well, if you need. Share with your group some ways that God has shown His grace to you in seemingly impossible situations. Number two, how is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate picture of God's grace against all odds? Number three, having faith in God doesn't mean that every difficult situation in your life will work out just the way you want it to. And so, how is God shaping and growing and teaching and loving you, even in the middle of the challenges? And then, number four, where is God asking you to trust him more when it comes to stepping out in faith? A couple things to pray about because we want to be people of prayer as well. Pray that God would increase our faith in him no matter how stacked the odds may appear to be. Thank God for the surprising, impossible for man but possible for God gospel of grace. Just think about it. God's impossible, surprising grace. And then pray for those who are not yet Christians that they would respond to his grace and be adopted into God's family. We're also going to respond with a celebration of the Lord's table. And as the, uh, the, the servers hand out the communion elements, I'm just going to ask you to hold on to them for a moment. We'll take this together. And let me just say, this is a practice that is for Christians. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I uh, would give you one of two invitations. Number one, we would invite you to abstain and reflect on why this meal is so meaningful for us as believers in Jesus, or even better, I would invite you to trust in Jesus today and let your first act of worship to God be joining us in this celebration of communion. Let me read from Luke 22 what this is about. This is Jesus, the night of his arrest and betrayal, the day before he was crucified, it said he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And today as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us, that we might be adopted into the family of God. And so today as we celebrate, I pray that God would strengthen your faith, that you would be reminded of the fact that that his grace is just crazy. This gospel is it's foolishness, and yet here we are, recipients of God's amazing grace. I'll invite the musicians to come forward as well. We're going to sing, and we're going to raise our voices, and we're going to raise our hands in, in celebration of God's grace. The band will lead us in songs that speak about our adoption as sons and daughters, and so I invite you to uh, sing with us. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to pray, and I'll invite you after I pray, when you're ready, maybe you want to take a minute and reflect, uh, and then take communion if you're with your spouse or friends or just on your own however you want and then when you're ready to stand and and sing with us but let me pray right now before we begin this time of response father god we thank you for this gospel this improbable this impossible gospel god it's nothing that we would have come up with this gospel of grace god we thank you of how this gospel is just so on display in the life of abraham and I pray, Lord God, today as we sing and as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, I pray that you would increase our faith. We would see more clearly what you have done for us to prove your faithfulness to us and we would respond with even greater trust in you, greater faith in you, greater hope in the gospel. Let us sing and, and celebrate now with great joy because we have been adopted by God through Jesus, our Savior, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.